And when I looked closer, there was a, a Sasquatch face on the other side, and uh, it was looking right back in at us. Staring back at me is a silhouette of a very, very giant monkey. An intriguing discovery is being investigated in a community east of Seattle. Someone came across a lengthy trail of extremely large footprints. They are up there. Welcome, everyone. You've tuned into the Nicola Valley Bigfoot Podcast, a place where your encounters are told. To share your encounter and to be on the show, email me at nicolavalleybigfoot at gmail.com. Now, sit back and enjoy the show. Hello there, my name is Helen, and through the magic of technology, I am talking to you now from the south coast of England. And uh, some of you might say um, that I sound very English. Well, the Canadians think I sound very English, and the English think I sound very Canadian, because I was born here um, in England, in the town where I were, um, grew up as, uh, I was born here in uh, a small town on the south coast of England and uh, I have returned here. Um, I went uh, to Toronto with my family in 1966. We immigrated there because my father is Canadian. He's from northern New Brunswick and he's got strong Acadian background but also uh, what I'm very proud of is the Mi'kmaq heritage. And so when I was six I went to Canada we lived in Toronto in what is now the city of Etobicoke and I grew up there, went to primary, secondary school and went to the University of Waterloo. But then with my first husband in 1984, uh, we came over here to Britain for a six week honeymoon and we're still here. Um, we both moved on and have second husbands and wives and uh, we had children together but um, I lived a lot of time in uh, Canada had uh, and it's a place that is very very dear to my heart because I am dual nationality and uh, it's somewhere I love to visit though of course recently we haven't been visiting of course because of COVID which is very sad but I was invited to come on to this podcast by Sheldon because I wrote on Facebook page Bigfoot Canada um, about an experience I had with Bigfoots and that would have been in the early 70s. I can't quite remember how old I was. I was sort of like 10 or 11, that age. And my sister, who is 11 months younger than me, um, she would have been just a year. So I, I think she was nine and I was 10, or she was 10 and I was 11, something like that. And we went to a relative's cottage just south of Bob Cajun in what is um, very cottagey country, uh, Bob Cajun itself. Um, is a town, was not a city, and uh, where we were was on the edge of what's called Pigeon Lake, which is directly south of Bob Cajun on Highway either 36 or 37, um, and it runs very north and south at that point. So the cottage we were saying was on the east side of Highway 36 or 7, um, and it was just, a, it was not winterized, it was very basic, but we had a lovely time there. And we've been there many summers, um, and one of the things my sister Annette and I used to do was cross the highway, which was actually just dirt and gravel at that time, and I'm sure they've paved it since, 
and go to what was Meadows opposite our house or the cottage. And if we were facing west, I want to describe this to you so that you can get a visual idea of what's happening. Um, if we look directly west, there was just um, meadowland and grassland for, I don't know, five, uh, 500 meters, something like that. And to our left was lower marshy ground. Um, and there was lots of cattails and rushes and things like that. Um, of course, we were told not to go there because it was boggy and marshy and, you know, just to stay out of there, don't come back dirty or get yourself in trouble. And then to our right on what was a drumlin, or is a drumlin, was a forest. And it's sort of, so that area sort of changed um, what was the landscape very quickly because it was forest on this drumlin that ran east and west. Um, and it was uh, evergreen and some deciduous poplar, that kind of thing. And uh, some sumac on the lower areas. And uh, then in front of us was this lovely great big meadow. And we used to play in there quite a lot. Um, and there weren't, wasn't anybody around. And uh, it was just sort of a basic. There were lots of um, uh, rushes and teasel and grasses like that. Lots of sumac. But there was big areas of just open green grassland. And we used to go in there and play. And what we found to our delight were that we ended up uh, with finding lots of four-leaf clovers and not just four but five and six and seven leaf clovers and so this was fantastic all in this one little area and so we picked them and then take them back to the cottage and uh, my, we would uh, press them in wax paper and then we take them home and then we put them on bookmarks and uh, my mother would write, would write like lucky bookmark kind of thing on it in her nice writing. And we put sticky plastic on it so you could see through. And we'd sell them to the kids in our classes for a dollar each. And we were quite poor kids, you know. I mean, everybody was the same, but, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. So for us to get this extra money was fantastic. It meant that we actually, one year, we actually put it away for Christmas and bought presents together for our family through our um, uh, um, lucky lucky clover sort of caches. Mm -hmm. So one time we were going there and ordinary day, nice bright sunny, it was early afternoon, we just helped my mum clean up, finish the dishes and we said, oh can we go out looking for clover and she said, oh yeah, fine. And uh, so off we go and everything's going okay and uh, my dad said, don't go into the woods because there could be hunters, just stay, you know, just stay in the meadow. And we're, all right. and we're wearing bright clothes, so we would have been very obvious. But so we're doing this. We nearly get to the place where the clovers are, and we hear this bang that we think is gunshot from the west. Looks like it's behind some of the forested area at about hour one o'clock. And we think, oh, better stay where we are here and not go any further down the meadow. And then, oh, I don't know, a couple of minutes, maybe not even that. Like, no, it wouldn't even been that, maybe a minute later. There was another gunshot in the marshy area, sort of two hour 11 o'clock. And we thought, gosh, you must be hunting ducks or something, you know. And uh, so we thought, right, we'll just stay here. We won't get any further. And then, maybe about five minutes later, there was another crack. Only... It didn't sound it didn't sound a like gunshot at that point. It did sound like a crack. 
like a baseball bat being hit on something. And that was closer to us. That was kind of like a 2.30. And we thought, hmm, in the forested area to our north. Couldn't see anything. Couldn't see any hunters with like, uh, you know, orange reflective stuff. on. Couldn't see anything like that. We thought, right, we'll just stay here and be careful. And then very quickly afterwards, to the south of us, to what is our 10 o'clock, there was another crack. And it was louder. And we looked at each other and we thought, shit. Well, we didn't think shit because we were 10, you know. We thought, oh dear, they're coming closer to us. Whoever it is, whatever it is. Because it was, it was obvious that it was one and then the other. And we thought, what, you know, are they doing tandem shooting or something? And then a few minutes later, maybe not even that, immediately to the north of us, the same level of us, and I'm actually getting a little bit chilly just telling you about this. There was a really loud crack. And then immediately to the south of us, immediately, so, you know, from our 3 o'clock to our 9 o'clock, there was another crack. And we looked at each other and we thought, whoa, what's going on here? I mean, what? We, we couldn't figure it out because really there was a direct line of sight from us to the cottage. It was a few hundred meters away, but it's not as if we were sort of secluded or hidden anywhere. And then we thought, oh. And before we had chance to sort of figure out what we could do, this absolute picking your pants sense of fear and foreboding came over us. And we just, I think, I think my sister reached for my hand. I think there was some sort of, we sort of like touched elbows or something. And then came the smell. The smell that I can only describe, I, I said it in my post uh, on Facebook, it, it was like compost, it was a compost shitty smell. And we looked at each other and we just turned immediately, didn't say a word, and started to run back to the cottage, straight line. And I was sort of, uh, if Annette and I were facing west, I was on the right-hand side. And so I turned and ran, and immediately to my left, which was north of me, in the brushland, something caught my eye. And for years I thought this was a dream, in still, uh, until I saw find a good fit on TV and went, oh my goodness, that's what happened. And I saw a creature that was maybe 10 yards away from me in a sort of gap between where the sumacs parted and there was a little bit of grassland and teasels and um, uh, a milkweed plants. And I looked and I, I thought, whoop. And um, just sort of had this flash, and it locked eyes. And its eyes were sort of a, a rusty brown color. It looked at me, and I, maybe I made a noise or something. and Or was it just the thought of these, these or the, the, the vision of these two human puppies running back, hell for leather, to this cottage. And it closed its eyes and threw its head back and uh, laughed. Really, laugh. I mean, there was no noise, but it was like this silent laugh. And uh, 
I, I thought it was a dream, but now I know that it wasn't, you know. And um, it was, I think, it, it looked like, um, oh, it was big, you know, it was, it was a huge thing, but it wasn't as massive as I have heard other people saying um, when they've met a, a full-grown Bigfoot. Uh, it was crouched down, um, sort of sitting on one heel and then with one knee up. So I only really saw it from the top of the knee and then chest and shoulders. And the shoulders were very square and the musculature was a little sparse for the size. So now as an adult, I look back and the impression I have is that it was a juvenile whose, you know, muscles were beginning to, you know, had to catch up to its bone growth. You know, like, like when you get skinny teenagers and all of a sudden they fill out. It, that kind of thing. And it just laughed. And it had a very expressive face, quite a broad nose, um, not a pointy head, but more of a squarish head, if you can imagine that, uh, unlike ours, where we are very hemicircular, you know, on the top of our head, it's very quite a round arch. But this was sort of rounded on the edges and up a little bit, but it was not um, pointed like you might have seen, like, yetis or something like that yeah and um and it was a light color it was a um it looked like it had been sun bleached a bit because the main color was sort of a mid-brown but then it went to sort of light sandier browns um on the top of its hair and it was hair not fur laying flat quite long uh didn't see any hands or anything like that but saw long arms. You know, the elbow was way far down, uh, further than you would expect on a human being. Mm -hmm. Now, I um, I have a geography degree, but I also have a minor in fine art, and I have done a lot of figure drawing. So I understand the proportions that human beings are. And its elbows were much lower than ours would be. Um, I could just see from the musculature in its arms. And we just ran like hell. And what was, I guess, the longest minute or so of our lives to the cottage, up across highway number 36 or 7, whatever it is, um, both of us put our hands on the cottage door, screen door, to open it. And then we just sort of walked in calmly. And Mum said to us, oh, you're back already? And we said, yeah, we couldn't, couldn't, find, couldn't find the um, clovers this year. Yeah, I couldn't find them. And so we went off, didn't say a word to each other, and just found ourselves other busy things to do or reading or whatever we were doing, playing with our sister, whatever. And we never spoke about it, didn't tell anybody. And I guess because we thought, did that happen? Did that not happen? But the, if it had happened and there was just one of us, you know, you could convince yourself that, oh my God, I've just, you know, what am I seeing? For goodness me, what an imagination. But there was two of us who turned and ran for all we were worth. Yeah. It wasn't one of us, it was two of us, and we didn't say a word to each other. And when we got into the cottage, you know, as I said, we just went and did things. But And we were there at that cottage for another two or three days. But every time we were asked to, one of us was asked to, say, take something out outside. I remember once being asked to take something out to my dad because he was barbecuing. Take, I don't know what it was. Take it out. And wordlessly, my sister got up and accompanied me outside. And if we were asked, I remember her being asked to take the garbage out. And I remember, without saying a word, I just got up and I went out with her. And 
when I think that's probably the last time you were there because our parents um, separated and then divorced um, after that. But then whenever we had to go outside of that cottage, we just went together. Never, neither of us said a word, and we have never said a word about it since. And um, sadly, we're estranged now, so I guess we never will talk about it. But so that was my Bigfoot experience, and I, but I, I put it sort of, you know, in my memory banks and kind of hid it for, I don't know, what was nearly 50 years, really. And it was only watching Finding Bigfoot, then did I look at it and went, Eric Wood knocks, it wasn't gunshot. And yes, I re that is what a Bigfoot looks like. And that when people talk about that fear of loathing and, and scared to death, you know, that, that feeling of foreboding, um, we have that. Just both of us have that. And um, now I realize that that was the experience. And it no longer, well, no, it does frighten me, actually. I'd be lying if I said it didn't frighten me because it does. <laughs> and, um, yeah, because you don't see something like that and go, Oh hi, how are you? Nice to see you. Bye. You know, it's not—it's something totally out of the ordinary, and it hits you in a visceral level. Yes. It—it's absolutely in a visceral level that it hits you. Absolutely. Uh, it's not for me. Yes. After you seen seen the creature uh, kneel down in front of you, and, and you got to the door, it seemed like you had panic up until that point. But as soon as you got in the house. Uh, you, you kind of turned it kind of got shut off at that point did you think that was a, a kind of a defense mechanism you know as a child it did oh sure be, oh sure yeah oh sure yeah it'd oh, probably yeah. be very difficult for a child to fully understand you know what 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 did we just see and and, and, also, and also too how do you tell people about that dad i think i saw a bigfoot didn't even know what a bigfoot wasn't then didn't even know what a Bigfoot was. You know, you just think, huh? What have I seen? What? Um, it's, like, it's called, I think the psychologists call it cognitive dissonance, that even though you were presented with the evidence, you disbelieve it. Yeah. Because you don't have anything to relate it to, or you refuse to relate it to anything. Yeah, yeah. Did you, did you ever feel like you were really in, in, in any danger, or, or was it more of a, a, um, a child's reaction to, to, no, to strange no, no. things happening. Do you know what I mean? No, uh, the 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 feeling of foreboding came first before we smelled it. The feeling of foreboding came first, and it was like like I watched Oprah Winfrey once. Well, I watched lots of times. But one of the episodes, it was about when people ignored their gut instinct. And it, so many people who have been survivors of kidnappings or big robberies or assaults or rapes, there's always, or not always, but usually there's a time when the people go, uh-oh, I shouldn't be here. This is not right. And it was only like that that I can, but, you know, we're taught to sort of, uh, especially women, we're taught to be socially compliant and be nice and go against those instincts. And thankfully now people are not going against instincts and, and being a little bit more savvy. Um, but I th it, it was something that, to me, it felt as though the sky went black. And, and it, was, uh, uh, it, it was more than just um, the shivers or something. 
it was real and absolute doom that I felt to my bones and beyond. And um, the only other time Annette and I have had that is that we both are quite psychic. And we went somewhere into a museum. We came back to England in, uh, in 1976 when we were 15 and 16. And we went into somewhere and they had all these old um, stones from a priory. We thought, oh, let's go and have a look at them. And we went two steps down into this room. And we stopped. And we retreat, and we just went two steps back. We didn't turn. We just went step back up, step back up, looked at each other and said, let's not go in there. Because there was something there, a presence or whatever, that was not um, beneficial or kind and loving. So we thought, no, oh, get out of there. Uh, but it, it was... It was the only time I ever felt something like that, um, anywhere near something like that, was when I was carrying my youngest child, and uh, he was uh, a week late, and so I'd been in the hospital, and they tried to bring the labor on, so it didn't work, went home, and at 11 o'clock at night, went to bed, or just to lay down, and I had this absolute feeling of dread, and horror, and panic, absolute panic, and my waters broke, but there was some meconium, in it, which means that uh, Robert, as he is now, opened his bowels in uh, some sort of fright or something. And then I went into a very quick labor and all was fine and he's a lovely boy. And now he's got great, you know, five kids of his own. <laughs> um, but it was that, that panic, that animal panic is what we felt. Believe it or and, not, I actually, I, I understand. Uh, I've actually experienced that myself oh. with, with one of these creatures. So I, I do understand. So. Mm. They work. They work in in. They function on different levels than we do. Yeah. Uh, before we get into that, because I do want to get into that with mm. you, uh, but I wanted to ask you something because I want to kind of focus on you hearing it laugh and it looked at you and it laughed. Now it. it, it I'm seemed, sorry. Sorry. Say that again. Oh, I wanted to kind of focus on on it's laughing at you. Um, oh yeah. Because there seemed to have been some communication between. Because I, I can almost guarantee you that there were there were several in, in that area at that one time. Um, oh sure. So there was, there was communic yeah. So there had been communication uh, between the others, you know, which is why you heard yeah. the tree knocks in different areas, and yeah. it accumulated to the point where you actually made visual contact, and yeah. it looked at you and laughed, almost like it it it, it knew it was playing a joke or, or something on you. Oh sure. Yeah. It was like is that ha ha scared you human yeah. children? I was actually going to ask. Ha, ha. It, is that what is that kind of what you were? <laughs> you know retrospect oh, absolutely 100 percent, 100 percent. yeah that's fascinating yeah because yeah, that really shows shows a different level of intelligence i mean monkeys and, and apes can can do such things as well but you know you don't expect to see that in, in the ontario forest you know what i mean <laughs> yeah just south of bob cajun <laughs> yeah um yeah which is you know not an uninhabited area you know yeah <laughs> but i i think well, when he's i have a little doggy who's a shih tzu bichon fusee and he um he does things very deliberately to annoy us or to laugh at us i mean he has quite a sense of humor when we first had him the first summer we had him um, and he wasn't quite a year old um, i was watering the garden and uh uh, and I had this nice sort of fine spray, and I flicked him a couple of times with the water, and um, I did it once, and he, and he sort of looked at me, and I thought, oh, well, maybe maybe you'll grow to like it, and I flicked him, and again, 
And he looked at me as if to say, oh yeah, big girl, oh yeah. And he went inside. And the place where I sit on the settee most evenings, or the couch, as we'd say in Canada, the couch, the sofa, where I'd sit and put my feet, he did a lovely little poo there for me. As if to say, you do that to me, <laughs> well, I'm going to shit on your place, madam. <laughs> and he wasn't even a year old. And that's that's a dog. right? And if you think that these are, people say they're primates, they're no more primates than we are. They are humanoid creatures. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, these are creatures with, with developed language, family structure, aren't they? They're, they're apps that they're bright. Yeah. I, you know, my opinion on, on, on Sasquatch has changed quite dramatically since uh, I really started diving headfirst into it. And I, I used to be on the camp where I thought they were, you know, they were just an, another animal roaming around the forest, you know, much like a, a deer or a moose or, or things sure. like that. Yeah. As I've, I've talked to more people and I've learned more, these creatures are way, way, they're on the same yeah. level as us, if not higher than us, because at least they're not I, trying I would, to destroy Yeah, I would say the they planet. vibrate on a much higher level than we do. Yeah. 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 I want to ask before and, before we move on though. I, I really want to ask if you had to guess how, how big do you think that the one kneeling down would have been? Oh, it was it was the size of a good sized man. So my husband is six foot four, and uh, my my sons are six foot and six foot two. So I would say that there it was well over six foot, but it was not the eight foot people. Or you know that that other people say it, it was not that big, uh, but also too it it was not grown into its musculature. It, it looked like a juvenile, like a teenager. Yeah, yeah, like kind of lanky almost. You know how you can tell a, a teenager. Yeah, like yeah, exactly. Yeah, because and and you could see I could see the outline of the muscle, and it's like I remember its chest wasn't complete, fully hairy. Oh. A little bit of of uh, or it was less hairy, but it it, it uh, and it was a um. Like a beigey color, like like almost like old hush puppies, like you know, like mm. color, yeah. Um, but but it it just wasn't. Um, or it was like the fur, the the hair there was very short and sparse. Mm. And what about you know? It looked like it was growing into its suit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that definitely sounds like it's it's filling out, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, it, but it's like its shoulders. Um, its shoulders were um, quite square, and it hadn't sort of uh, um, developed the trapezoid muscle, but it had no neck. You know, the, the, I couldn't really see much of a neck there. And even when it put its head back to laugh, and I had a good look, I could see down its mouth. Oh. And I, yeah, I know, I know. And I could see it had uh, like square teeth at the back, like we do. And what about the you know, and what about the front teeth? Like, did it have fangs? You know how the canines are somewhat pronounced. I know what you and... mean. Um, I didn't see that. Uh, I really, you know, as as its uh, head went back, I saw it back teeth, and I saw a tongue that was a wide tongue like ours. Wow. Like a yeah, like a wide fleshy tongue, not a long tongue like a dog's. I've heard a long thin yeah. tongue like a dog. Yeah. I heard like other people's accounts of, of you know them opening their mouth and, and showing their their teeth and their tongues. <laughs> Um, but if you had to like compare it to something, you know, how, how big was its mouth? Like, was it a really, really wide gap, or, or was it like a more, more like a human's type of type of mouth? No, no, it was, it was bigger. Now, my first husband, bless him, has got a hundred teeth in his mouth. 
he's one of these people who has a huge <laughs> mouth. In fact, he, he can uh, put a hard-boiled egg in his mouth and bring his teeth clenched down around it. Oh. That's a, that, that tells you how big his mouth is, right? Or an egg. <laughs> and my son can do the same. So I'm used to people with big mouths. And uh, There's a joke uh, in but, there somewhere. I'm not going to say it, though. <laughs> <laughs> But it was it was a, a much wider mouth than we have, and, and um, uh, I've done a lot of study for, in primates and stuff, and it's it was a wider mouth than a gorilla mouth, oh. uh, and it was because the uh, the cheekbones, you know, the zygomatic, or I think we say in Canada, the zygomatic arch, and the um, edges of the the bottom, the mandible were really um, very square. You know, like our faces go in or, you know, what I mean, like our chin is narrower. But it wasn't anything like that. It was a very square face. And so the mouth was really big. I didn't see any lips or anything. But then if somebody was had their head back, you know. Yeah. Also, too, you know, I was I was thinking, shit, I better get out of here. You know, like I, I wasn't I wasn't talk, stopping to take a lot of detail in, you know. <laughs> that <laughs> yes. was just my very strong impression. Yeah. People, when they see these creatures, they tend to focus on. Uh, you know, one one thing kind of really sticks out to everybody who's kind of run into one of them. Like for for me, my own personal sighting, I, I remember the teeth, the teeth and the hip, because the hip was sticking out the other side of the tree, so it wasn't doing a very good job of uh, hiding. Right. But the hand, yeah. like the, that's the one thing I remember the most is the the size and the power you can see in the hand. And I oh the, sure, yeah. Oh sure. No, they're they're big creatures. Yeah, and and it seemed like the the curiosity. Um, got the better of them because and and the reason i folk i'm kind of focusing on that is because i'm hearing more and more and more that the juveniles tend to be the ones that are more the daredevil so to speak and they'll they'll make themselves known to to either you know for any, for yeah. their own entertainment type of purposes and it kind of sounds like that's that's what happened with yeah. you yeah they, they, yeah. they got Probably a good chuckle a having a, yeah have, having a game at us you know yeah and, and that's a very very unique trait that you think only humans would possess or, or, or you know, primates, for example. Uh, it, well, I, yeah. I mean, even things that I've seen on TV, some animals like, um, uh, you know, primates and stuff or even dogs, they'll have a juvenile period and the parents have to keep him in line. So I think it's that that transition, isn't it, from childhood to adulthood and yeah, um, it's a huge, it's, it's a huge change, you know, your brain grows, you've got your the, the chemicals in your body change, it becomes a sexual maturity, all kinds of things happen, don't they? Yeah. yeah. So I, I think it's a, a way of, y you have more leeway in that, you know, you don't have to stay by your mum all the time. And you can lead activities yourself rather than doing what everybody else is doing. Um, but you're not quite at that responsible period. Yeah, and it, it's you know, and it really sounds like it's horseplay almost, and and that's something that yeah. you know, teenagers get into, and it seems like that's kind of what happened with you, and and I really don't think you're in any danger other than you know the fact that you're seeing something that you were told shouldn't exist, uh, <laughs> but well, I didn't know it existed. If it wanted to catch us and do us harm, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. Exactly. Exactly. Because that was a big creature, and my sister and I, we ran, but we're no athletes. You know, we're just ordinary kids, and it could have caught both of us and knocked our heads together. Do you know what I mean? It, if it wanted to hurt us, 
it so easily could have, and we would have stood no chance. Yeah. Uh, but I never, I never felt, and I've never thought that. On when I've reflected back, and I've never felt that it was in, we were in danger. I just felt that we were being played a practical joke on, or we were just somewhere that that this maybe this juvenile was meeting up with a parent or something, and they and and we were just in their um, in their way really. Yeah, it, it's almost like it could um, almost trust you to to uh, you know trust you enough to play this joke on that you're not going to go grab a gun and, and run back into the forest type and, and start shooting and blasting everywhere type of thing. That's do, right. Do you know what I mean? So it, it must have seen they must have seen something in you and, and your sister that they said, okay, you know what? This is we can let's get a chuckle out of these ones because we'll be safe type of thing. <laughs> and, and that kind of brings me to my or, next point. Or then, you know. It was somewhere. It was a meadow, and we were the only cottage near near it. So, you know, and nobody else is going to go. Oh, here's a meadow. Let's go in there and have a look. You know, because uh, north and south of us, there weren't other cottages for a mile, half a mile. You know, and this meadow was not that big. You know, so it was in a drumlin field. So you've got forest meadow, forest meadow, forest meadow as the de and marsh. You know, in between as the ground goes up and down. So that nobody else is going to ever be in there. Yeah. You know, so, and it might be somewhere that, um, you know, and it was a cottage that wasn't that inhabited, you know, very often. I mean, it was only weekends in the summer, really. Yeah. Because it was not winterized, so you wouldn't go there. Because um, uh, fishing on Pigeon Lake is good, but uh, if it was winterized, we would have gone ice fishing, because we went ice fishing up in Keswick with my dad. Um, and that was fun, but uh, so we liked ice fishing. And the uncle whose whose family's cottage it was was his best pal, and they were great fishermen. So, uh, but but what I'm saying is, that it was kind of a uh, not very inhabited area at all. So maybe these Bigfoots were used to just walking up and down in this meadow with nobody seeing them. And one day they think, oh crikey, look at that human kids. Yeah. Hmm. Let's scare them. <laughs> Let's get them out of the way by sending out our supersonic, uh, you know, more ultrasonic um, uh, uh, tele telepathic stuff that's going to make them go, oh, let's get out of here, because that's what happened. <laughs> yeah. Were, were there any other signs or, or anything like that before or after after your sighting? Or, or did it just kind of go away after that? It just stopped. Well, for me, um, well, I never went back there again, so I never saw those. Oh, okay. Okay. So I could never, I could never see how my friend, you know, if he was growing up or whatever and filling out nicely, and <laughs> I could, you know, I, yeah. I'm laughing, but you know, it, it, I mean, I never ever went there again. Um, next time I go back to Canada, though, I have friends who live in Peterborough and Bob Cajun's just north of there, so I, re I will go back and have a look, just to kind of remind myself, you know. Yeah. Um, but when you say, have I had any other experiences with Bigfoots? Yeah. Um, well, I have. And um, and I've had the experiences with Bigfoots in my own house. Okay, you're going um, to have which, to explain to, to, to me. Yeah, I know, audience. I know. People are thinking, <laughs> what is that woman on about now? But I am quite a sensitive person, and I have always been able to see ghosts and um, I'm clairaudient I can hear people from the other side and to the um, to the point where I um, 
can feel and see the electric vibrations and life force of trees and even rocks and it's something that has always been in my life since I was old enough to remember. One of my first memories is uh, being in a cot when I was newly born and the cot was huge, huge so um, and uh, with me just in it and I had no language and I was at the age where I didn't realize I had hands or the rest of my body so I must have been very very young you know weeks kind of thing and um, I know I've got a little granddaughter who's just uh, 12 weeks or 13 weeks yeah, today and you know she's finding her hands so I was well younger than that absolutely younger than that and I remember if I woke up and I saw these big lights um, above me and sometimes they came closer to me and they were kind of a, a, a warm uh, yellowy color they would come close to me and then they go get small and go a little further away and if I saw those lights and it used to be two or three of them sometimes always more than one and that the things I didn't know who what they were the things that would come and uh, take me to them uh, were not going to come uh, but if I didn't see the lights and I woke up then the things came and got and came and got me now those things I know now were my parents so I've always had that kind of sensitivity and uh, um, I remember seeing I know it's, it's like you just think well but yeah I, I totally remember that totally and I've always remembered that and uh, um, so I've grown up being like that and in my family well my father is um, Acadian and uh, but he has Mi'kmaq heritage something of which we are very proud and um, and the genes the Mi'kmaq genes have come out very strongly in me in my body shape and form and uh, the way I look and very much in my attitude and outlook in life I believe and I think it's something to be respected and honored and I'm very glad I have it and so I've always been sensitive that I could see sometimes I could see people's grandparents walking with them when I was a kid stuff like that and when I was in high school um, and I got a bit of a reputation for that which is kind of good and bad but anyway but what I did do I was watching a program called Expedition Bigfoot and uh, of course I've wa I watched um, uh, Finding Bigfoot love that and then Expedition Bigfoot love that as well and there was this episode where they had quite a lot of sensitive interaction that uh, one of the guys put marbles out um, all pretty colored marbles where they thought the Bigfoot would be and they came back marbles are gone now there's nobody else in these forests right no one else around marbles are gone and an eagle feather is left in its place and I was just so moved by the interaction that I guess I kind of went into a different place and I also in that series on that episode too there was also an indigenous man who said that he'd taken some hair from uh, what was a shelter like an overnight shelter for Bigfoot and he'd just taken it and uh, when he got home he was having bad dreams and couldn't settle and the Bigfoot was saying to him you've got something of mine and so he took the hair back and put it in this little lean-to it wasn't going to do anything with the hair it was just he just took it 
And when the man got back to his truck, like his half-ton truck, there was an eagle feather tucked under his windscreen wiper. And I just thought, whoa, there's a lot going on here. And I didn't mean to do it or didn't realize I was doing it, but I ended up channeling a Bigfoot. A Bigfoot came to me. Um, and I, I don't have any spirit guides, because, and I, I always felt kind of like left out because everybody, everybody else has got a spirit guide, and how come I don't have one? And I once went to somebody, and it was a spirit guide workshop, and I said, I don't, I, I don't have any spirit guides. And he said, you don't need them. You go straight to source. And I thought, oh, all right. And um, this Bigfoot uh, came to me. In and uh, chatted a lot with me and was very happy that um, he had somebody, a human person, to talk to. Because they do think we're a little odd. <laughs> <laughs> they, can't quite, they can't quite figure us out. They don't understand what motivates us. You know what? They're, they're not alone because I'm in the same boat as <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I look at the pre present British government and the way they've handled COVID, and I wonder what planet they're on too. Yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> it's that kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah, if I may, if I may, um, like mm. for the for the audience, uh, uh, me and Helen have, have, we're kind of we we're talking before we started recording, and, and you know, yeah. you and your sister are both very very sensitive to to other people's energies yes. and and to yeah. wavelengths. Yeah. Um, do you think, and this is purely speculation, um, do you think that that is the reason why? Um, this particular Sasquatch made himself known to you? Is that, you know, it, it could no, sense, you I know, the, so. the, the no. calm in you? No, I, I think we were just in one of the rare areas that they tra um, they traverse. Personally, I think we were just in one of their areas that, um, cause be because we had no inkling of what was going on until the wood knocks were sort of to our three o'clock and nine o'clock and then we kind of went oh dear um, what's going on here and I think if they had been looking at us that I think we probably would have noticed it that's that's never really occurred to me I what what feels like to me is that we were in their territory yeah fair enough fair enough I just yeah, I mean that, I mean I have this one kind of I personally, my own personal belief is that, you know, these creatures are very sensitive as well to, to yeah. people's energies and whatnot. And they can sense when, when you mean harm, much, much to like canines and other animals can do. Oh, sure. Even people can yeah, do. I, yeah. But, I, you know, I maybe there is something too. they sensed yeah. about you that, you know, okay, we, we can make ourselves known to these two, you know, these two little girls and we'll be okay if we, if we do that. And that's kind of what I, I meant by that. Is yeah, it, yeah, I mean, they, could they were, be, could yeah. be. I mean, we were we were pre, um, you know, we we were sort of like pre-pubescence. We were nearly there, but not quite, you know. And uh, um, so we were we were emanating a child's vibration, not a not an adolescent or a young teen's vibration, because we weren't there yet. We were, mm. I think, we were emanating a, an older child's and you know, intelligent, bright older child's vibration. Mm, and they yeah. probably, but but you know, I know a lot of people have asked me that. Oh, do you think they were, you know, like snuck up on you or? And I, I, I don't know, you know. But I've never felt that we were tracked. I felt that we were in their territory. Yeah, that's fair enough, and that's more than likely what happened. I just, 
I just yeah. find it fascinating when people have the ability to to um, reach out, so to speak, and, and be kind of communicative with. Did I say that right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's um, for me, it was a privilege when whoever it was came to me, and um, I felt as though I'd won the lottery. You know, it was it was like an incredible prize and, and something to value is how I felt. I felt as I've, I've been given, you know, three diamond rings or something. And, because uh, I like diamonds. And, um, <laughs> you know, I, I do. And um, I, I felt it was a wonderful thing. And it was uh, a very um, holy, as in, you know, a sacred experience. I felt it was a sacred experience. Yeah. And um, I'm I'm getting almost cheerful now just uh, just saying about yeah. it. And uh, I've heard that uh, actually several times from a few of my yeah. guests actually that, that that it was more. You know, when I started the podcast, I expected to have people approach me and tell me these horrifying encounters where they tried to get mm -hmm. killed and, and and murdered and stuff by these creatures. But it's mm -hmm. been actually quite the opposite. It's actually been more of yeah. a these like a lot of people their lives have been changed and including myself from from yeah. you know, their encounters with these 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 forest people and they are definitely other types of people you know and much like as there's been oh sure yeah oh sure a friend of mine who i get um uh, i do porcupine quill art as i was saying to something i've i've uh it's a great Mi'kmaq tradition it's something that i've gotten into um through covid actually and uh a friend of mine who lives in Portsmouth, down the coast from me, and he um, harvests my birch bark in very, like he, as I said, he does tobacco offerings and is very mindful and respectful and knows what to do and how to do it. And um, we got chatting, and we've never met, but we talk to each other every week <laughs> on Zoom or something. Anyway, and um, he studied, um, he's got an, uh, an arts degree, and he studied in Vancouver because, you know, part of what he did his thesis on was on indigenous art. And, and he loved, like me, the Pacific Northwest Coast art. And uh, my house is full of Haida and Salish prints. And uh, so he went to an area with a chief and he was doing lots of uh, understanding of the forest and it's getting mature. And, and I don't quite know why they were out with him, but anyways, to do with part of this degree in his thesis. And they got to a ridge line, and the chief, who it was a chief who was showing around, wanted to show them this, and he said, look. And there were all these cedar trees that were um, the roots. It was just the roots of the cedar trees, and these big cedar uh, trunks of trees where the roots were stuck into the ground so that the roots were at the top and the trunk of the tree was in the ground. And they went all along this ridge line. You know, it, like not close together, but far away, and it marked it. And this chief, who was this, you know, sturdy guy, um, you know, very amenable and, and chatty, uh, did not like being up there on that ridge line. And he said, Over there, this is the mark of our territory. Beyond there are the Sasquatch. They stay on their line, side of the line, he stay on ours. Mm -hmm. And my friend said, uh, he said he was he was like 
broke into a sweat and he was very sort of jittery. Um, this big guy, and he said he was like in his 60s, kind of thing, 60s, 70s. So he, you know, I've lived a bit, and he was no pushover. And but he was, he didn't want to have them there for very long. And uh, my friend said we were only there for like a minute, just for him to say, "Here, look at this, right? Okay, fine, we're going now." Um, so, you know, there always ha there has been. I think that's the way we have to see it: is that we need to be respectful towards um, these, and they're not preachers; they're humans in every sense that we are. I think. Yeah, and honestly, it, it seems like they they have a better grasp on. On what we need to be, what needs to be done in order to to take care of this planet a bit better, because we we have obviously humans have no idea. <laughs> so well, they yeah. they don't understand our consumption, is what they that um, but they don't they don't understand certain things about us, and this is what um, however this bigfoot guy he, they don't um, they don't understand how we make things. They don't understand where all the things that we have come from. They don't understand manufacturing or fabrication because it's not in their world. Mm. And they don't have fire, do they? No. So, so they're, they're like, but they understand fire. And they don't understand why people put those sticks with fire at the end of them in their mouths. <laughs> why would you want to do that? Uh. They, they, you know, don't understand that kind of stuff, and they think, well, and I said to you, they, they're, it's very hard, because it's like talking to somebody with a different language, you know, it's like, and here, you know, I live in England, we get a lot, and I've been to Europe a lot, you know, there's lots of people have lots of different languages here, and, but mainly, um, if people have another language, it's English, so you often go to places and you can talk to people in some sort of English, that, but there are still lots of words that you don't understand from each other, and it was like that. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, and it's like it's, I can speak French, so if somebody is is they they come and I can say, oh, uh, je peux parler avec avec vous, madame, and then they go, oh, bon, 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 and you know, we chat away, mm -hmm. and their French is obviously far better than mine, but you know, <laughs> we get there, and but it was like that that there were words and concepts that we couldn't meet on. You know, and um, we couldn't uh, quite understand each other, um, which, but even so, I, I, I was, I, I just am blown away, and I'm actually rather staggered that I'm telling you about it and I'm publicizing it. Um, and uh, they call us the their word for flat or smooth. They call us the smooths because everything we have is flat or smooth. Our bodies have no hair except on our heads. Um, so our skin is smooth. Um, everything that we wear is smooth. Our vehicles are smooth on the outside. Everything we have is smooth. Those little cameras that we put up, you know, and they know that they are our eyes. And they know, and they can feel them because their electromagnetic um, sensitivity is far greater than ours. You know, we only basically have, you know, heat and cold and uh, the visual ranges, you know, we can hear things, of course, but their understanding and or their capabilities to feel and sense things are far greater than ours. And they know that they are our eyes and that we're spying on them, basically. And um, they, they can feel our electromagnetic radiation. Do, do you think... Them. 
Oh, I'm sorry. I, I just wanted to ask, what, no. do, do you think that they will ever be um, fully acknowledged by, by the public and by the, the mainstream scientific community? I mean, from the sounds of it, and, and I've spoken to quite a lot of people since doing the podcast, is that, you know, these, these forest people just don't want to be discovered. So they're doing everything well, no. in their power to stay away from us. Well, they think we're stupid. Well, they're not wrong. <laughs> well, no, they, they, they don't understand. Like, they think, what are you doing? You're making a big mess here. What are all these things? that they they, 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 they they don't understand us. They understand the people who are the hunters and the fishers and the campers. They understand that, but they don't understand the rest of our society. And obviously, they don't want to be there, you know. Yeah. Why would they be there? Um, but uh, my... My father um, died some years ago, and as I, I've, I've said, you know, I've obviously told lots of people now that I'm, I'm a very sensitive psychic person. And my father and I talk most. We were very, very close um, in life, and especially as adults and as we both got older. Um, and he died at the grand age of 96, being quite compassmentous. I only spent a week in hospital, the last week of his life. Um, the time he was in the hospital before that was in '68 when he had his gallbladder out. So a very healthy man, and um, I uh, talked to him quite a bit. And he said, "Oh, he said it's different this time." I said, "What do you mean it's different this time? Being dead? How can being dead be different? You're dead." He said, <laughs> "No," he said. "What's different is the the all the gadgets." And the technology make it hard for us on this side now, because he 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 was born in 1919. So obviously, was he when he was on the other side before he came to my grandmother to be her son? Um, there was very little technology, and he said all the f technology. He says what it is. He said, oh my god. He said, I tell you what. He said it makes it bloody difficult for us over here. It's like looking at everything through net curtains, and you think, oh. I never thought of it like that. Because he said to me, he said, it's different now. It's very different. And so if he can tell me that, I'm sure the Bigfoots can figure us out. They know where these pockets of electromagnetic radiation are, even if there are little bush cameras. You know, they yeah. are electromagnetic. So yeah. that's what makes them work, the battery, you know. Um, I've always thought the same but, thing, too. They, they can sense when, they're, when the cameras are there. So that, yeah. that's why we can't really use trail cams to successfully... Yeah. Catch a no, picture of no. one. No, because if they can emanate the energy and the force to make my sister and I scared to death, and other people have felt this too, haven't they? Oh yeah. You yeah. know, yeah. It's it's a common thing. If they can do that, then they can do anything hmm. in that field. Well, I want to wrap this up here with you, Helen, but sure. I, I've got one more question for you. Um, I, I think it's pretty obvious, but I, I, I like to ask my guests this question. Is, how was how your, your uh, encounter with, with the forest people? How has that changed you? And I don't, mean, I don't mean as a child you got scared. What I mean is in the long run. I mean, obviously things have changed with you since, since you were you know, 10 or 11 years old. To the point that you would hope, now. wouldn't you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, what have you been doing for the last 50 years, girl? Um, but I mean, has it, has it like... Has it made you more open? Has it made you think, okay, well, there's there's a lot more out in the planet that we just don't know about, or, or what? What? How has it affected you, if you may? Well, the short answer is yes, it has. But what 
how it affected me really was that I realized when when I got to that realization that it was something that was true. Um, and then I looked a lot more into Bigfoots and stuff. I mean, I guess, you know, I just totally accept that they're there. But then also, too, it has made me more defined in what I do psychically or um, just emotionally and spiritually. Because if you are somebody who's sensitive like me, and I've had it all through my life, people say, oh, come and do a reading for me and do this. And like, um, and you have to wonder, well, why? How does that help you if I do that? And it's not something I've been drawn to. but um, So it's made me really think about that, and it's made me more prayerful. And it's made me... Um, now, you know, like I, I know, and I, I'm a bit amazed, you know, that the um, my prayers have have effect. Um, you know that I can you know really work on somebody and, and pray for healing and if they do help heal or that a situation changes, and it's made me realize, and, and it comes from the Bigfoot being able to scare us, that they can emanate this, hmm. and that there is more than just what you say to people and how you behave to them. There is that other layer of uh, your existence that you can use to help people, as I'm sure you can use to harm people. Um, and so it's made me do more of that. Like, you know, I had, I had a friend of mine who had a dreadful, dreadful scalp condition. And she was at my house, and I couldn't believe this poor girl. I've known this girl for like 30 years. And... Um, I prayed for all I was worth for her body to rid itself of what it was that was causing this. And uh, she woke up and she said, what have you been doing? I said, what do you mean what I'm doing? She said, my bleeding has stopped. And I was like, oh, I was praying for you. That's said, really? I said, yeah. And I kind of was, and this is, this is not that long ago. And uh, like within you know a few years. And uh, I said, I was praying for you. I just prayed really hard for him. She said, well, it bloody worked. And so from then on, I've, I've tried to um, develop that side of myself, to, to, to use uh, psychic energy or spiritual energy, whatever you want to call it, um, to help people. That's amazing. You know, I, I, you know, I focus it on that. I, I'm not interested in extraterrestrials. I've seen them. Well, that's another podcast, isn't it? But... <laughs> You know what? I've seen, if I may, before we before we wrap this up, a couple of sure. years ago in one of our our ex, ex uh, excuse, I can say words good, I promise. On one of our expeditions, we we went to this one new area that we had never gone to before. We heard had a lot of of Bigfoot activity, and sure. so we had gone there, and we were getting nothing. There was no movement. There was no how. There there's nothing going yeah. on. Come two thirty, three o'clock in the morning, we find we spot a UFO. And the reason we know it was UFO is because it was moving in a zigzag pattern and it was, it just blasted off. It just, in a split second, it was gone. Yeah. And as soon as that, just as soon as that went away, the forest came alive. And by alive, <gasps> I mean, we were hearing screams and we were hearing crickets and we were like these screams. I have a video of it somewhere. I'm going to have to find it. But it wow. was just like, it was complete 180 from what we were looking at. And then, 
for the audience, I'm not trying to get into the UFO Bigfoot thing. I'm, I really am not. I'm just saying this is what happened. We, as yeah. soon as that UFO disappeared, the forest came alive with these really, really, really weird screams. And I can't, I think it was Sasquatch. I, I can't say for certain, but that's what well, it's I was... not going to be. It's not going to be butterflies, is it? <laughs> no, no. You well, know, yeah. it's going to be something like, you know, with vocal cords. Yeah. And... So I, I, but I, I try to, like yourself, I, I try not to get too, too far down the rabbit hole with the UFO and all that kind of stuff. But I just wanted to share that with you because I'm, it made me think, you know, maybe there is a connection there somewhere, but maybe that's a future episode. But I just, I had to get. Well, that that's right. Well, who knows? I mean, people can say if it, because that they're they're running on different energy levels than we are, isn't it? You know, we're just in the here and now, the visual, the oral, uh, physical plane, but they they function on different planes. And um, yeah, my UFO experience, I'll just say quickly, is that uh, again, what I thought was a dream when I was at university in Waterloo. I saw, um, what's the name, Whitney Schreiber on the Mark, Mike Douglas show, and he showed pictures, and he wrote the book Communion, which was sort of like the first one that really, I believe, really brought um, contact into public parliance, really. And um, when he showed a picture of the face of the alien, I, I, I nearly fainted, and I thought, that's what I saw. So but that's another podcast. <laughs> but but until I saw that, I I thought what I what what I happened to me was was a shock, you know, or, or was it a dream? And I was just having nightmares or something because it was at night. But there we are. I did yeah. get taken away from court for that. Um, but uh, yeah, it's something that I I don't want to put any of my energy to that because I I think they'll come and get me, and I don't want them to. <laughs> I want to stay here. <laughs> and I, was, I said to you um, earlier, you know, when we were talking, that I, uh, the last five or six years I've had a tremendous weight loss, uh, which I've done myself to just um, for better health. And uh, and the other day somebody said to me, because oh, they know that I, I had this experience, and she said, oh, she said, doesn't it worry you? And I said, what? She said, well, you, you're much lighter now. You'll be easier for the UFOs or the aliens to beam you up. And I said, oh, I said, I don't think if they can travel light years away, you know, 90 pounds of weight loss, that's not going to stand in their way. <laughs> but anyway, it's, it's been um, a privilege, Sheldon, and um, a great pleasure to talk to you and your listeners and to get to know you. Um, and it was amazing how this has happened, though sometimes things do speed up in your life because it's only... Uh, two days, three days ago, that I posted my experience on Bigfoot Canada pages, and I have had such a tremendously warm, accepting response from hundreds of people um, that it's been a tremendous thing for my life, and really given me a, a real boost. As I said, you, I'm recovering from a hospital stay with COVID, and um, you know it's been a wonderful thing. So thank you very much for including me in this oh. process. Oh, the pleasure really was all mine. Yeah, I, for, for some reason, and, and for the audience, me and Helen, we were we, we spoke quite extensively before we even began recording, but for some reason, I was very, very drawn to your encounter, and I, I, I knew if I reached out to you, you were going to come, you were going to contact me back. Uh, so, so, must be know, the indigenous I, connection, do you think? <laughs> <laughs> you got well, I, 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 I think, 
uh, as I said to you, you know, you reached out to me and my hands were guided to say, hi, sure, I'd love to. That's awesome. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, yeah. It's amazing how, how, how uh, Bigfoot or Sasquatch, how these people can, can bring other people together. So, yeah. Uh, I'm yeah. learning. I'm learning. I definitely learning. <laughs> But Helen, this has been a real, real treat for me. Thank you so, so much. I, I really do appreciate you taking the time. And, and of course, you know, the big time difference, it's moving on to like 1130 in, in your local time. So I thank you so, so much. I yeah. sincerely appreciate you every minute you've Oh, you're welcome. I'm, I'm going to uh, boil up some crab apple jelly here now. So <laughs> I'm a night owl. So, <laughs> but it's been my pleasure and thank you. And, um, hello to all the listeners and, uh, happy big thing. <laughs> for the audience if you guys just want to hang around we're going to close out the show stay there and welcome back everyone we are back to pull a pin on this one but before we do that let's give a huge thank you to helen for coming on uh, helen has been Helen is an amazing woman, a very, very lovely lady. I want to say thank you so, so much, Helen, for, for, for coming on the show and, and sharing that experience with you. I, I, was, I, I read it in, in, I can't remember off the top of my head which group she said it was in, because I, I belong to a bunch of them and I read a lot of stories. But when I read that, I, I knew I had to have her on the show. And I just I reached out to her, and, and I'm so grateful that she responded and decided to come on the show and, and tell what happened. Because, you know, you know the, the way she described it, it really sounds like it really sounds like they were juvenile Sasquatch and they were playing a practical joke. And, and I mean, not to downplay, you know, the, the, you know, the quote unquote horror that Helen and her sister went through at the time. But, you know, in, in retrospect, in hindsight, it's, it really seems like they were just kind of fooling around and, and, you know, Helen just happened to be the victim of their practical joke, which is another aspect of these forest people that I am just, I'm fascinated with that. You know, that, that shows social structure and, oh, wow. Tell me what you guys think, you know, write in Nicola Valley Bigfoot at gmail.com. Tell me what you guys think of, of what happened with Helen and what these creatures did to, you know, play a joke on Helen. Cause it, to me, it, it's absolutely fascinating because it's it just on so many levels. But yeah, you guys write in. Let me know what you guys think. And uh, also, you know, if you want to be on the show, you could write in too. <laughs> well, let, let's get to that in a minute. But thank you so much, Helen. I sincerely do appreciate it. And I will have to have you back for, you know, just to, just to talk because I, I, you're such a lovely lady. So thank you so, so much. Um, let's see. Uh, if you want to be on the show and you want to share your encounter, I can be contacted at NicolaValleyBigfoot at gmail.com. That's N-I-C-O-L-A. Nicola Valley Bigfoot at gmail.com. Um, yeah, let's get your stories on the air. I, I've got a few projects on the side here that I'm going to start releasing on Saturdays. I mean, there's some really, really, uh, <laughs> well, I'll just come clean. There's our first attempt at a podcast with me, Dusty, and Stanley. And, uh, oh boy, it, it's embarrassing, but uh, I'm going to put it out there anyway because I think, you know, if we can't laugh at ourselves, who can we laugh at really? But I'll, I'll put it out there. Uh, maybe this Saturday, I'm not sure, or, or the following Saturday, there will be some some newer content going up uh, on Saturdays and stuff. But I'd like to get uh, you guys back on. The, I want to get you guys on the show, so right in. Um, let's see what else. If you want to go to bonfire.com and then type search Nicola Valley Bigfoot, 
my stuff comes up and uh, you can purchase a mug or a t-shirt or, you know, it's getting chilly out, it's fall time, uh, get yourself a hoodie, support the show because all funds that go from there go directly back into the show so that we can make it better for you guys. Um, oh, you're probably wondering where the uh, preview for next week is. Well, that's a long story and it's the technical thing. Uh, my computer really, uh, really let me down. Let's just put it that way. But there is a show next week. I promise you. I just <laughs> technology. What do we do with it? I don't think we can live with it or without it. But anyway, there will be a show next week. So tune in for that. There might even be something this Saturday. I'll, I'll, I'll post it in the, looking for Bigfoot on Facebook if you guys want to find out. Um. So yeah, let's get out of here. Until next week, guys. Uh, I'll talk to you later. Bye.